All right, well, we are continuing our series called Lynchpin. This is a study of the book of Deuteronomy. We're, we're not necessarily going verse by verse, but we're looking at some big picture themes from the book of Deuteronomy. And so, you know, we just thought, hey, it's summertime, school's out. Let's do some really light, simple study as a church and tackle a book of the law. I don't know. It seemed better to me in my mind in late spring than it does now that we're here in July. Um, no, but I'm excited about this series, and, and really, my hope, um, my hope is always that we see the Bible as one unified book communicating one unified message, that God loves us, that we need Him, and that He's redeeming our lives in this world, that we hear that message. And, and so often, um, the church has become... I don't know what the right words are, maybe embarrassed um, by some things that we see in certain portions of Scripture that it's easier to ignore them or not talk about them or assume we've advanced past them instead of seeing the interconnectedness of all of God's Word. And so as we tackle the book of Deuteronomy, it's this message from Moses to the next generation where he's recapping their past and their history talking about their present and what they're about to do and face as they move into the promised land. And then he begins to equip them and warn them about their future. And so it's an all-encompassing book. And, and we're looking at this book through the lens of Jesus. Outside of the book of Psalms, the book of Deuteronomy was the book he quoted the most from the Old Testament during his ministry. It's a significant portion of Scripture. And so we're working our way through it. One of, the, one of the frameworks that we're using to understand the book of Deuteronomy is the idea of a relay race, a relay race, where we are grabbing the baton from the, the runner that came before us, and then we're running our leg well, and then we're passing the baton on to the next runner. And so last Sunday, the primary focus was, how do we grab the baton from the previous generation? Uh, we looked at some important aspects of how we do that, why that is so necessary and important. Um, not just to quickly judge the past and determine how we're so much smarter now and more enlightened and ready to advance forward. We've got to be willing to honestly look at the past and learn from it. We're sitting in this room because of those who've gone before us. And so what can we glean and learn from the past? and then step into our moment in time and run our race well. So you can go back and listen to that message, if you like, about grabbing the baton. Now, for the next few weeks, we're going to look at running our race well. Once we've got a hold of that baton and we're now walking with Jesus through this life, how do we do that well? Um, and it's, it's hard sometimes when you're tackling um, several topics or themes. In my mind, I see them all very interconnected but we're just gonna to have to take one at a time. And so as an example this morning, primarily, we're gonna look at God's law and how it relates, believe it or not, to God's love, to God's love. Now Jesus connected, we looked at this two weeks ago, he connected loving God and loving people as kind of a summation of the law and prophets. Well, we're gonna look at loving people well next Sunday, um, but you really, it's hard to disconnect them, it's all intermingled. So this morning, we're talking about loving God through the lens, interestingly enough, of the law God's given us. So I think that that might need some help and guidance from him. Don't, don't you think? I, I'm feeling the need for his help in communicating it. 
Um, and then you have to somehow figure out what in the world I'm talking about and translate into something that makes sense in your own heart and mind. So let's ask him to come and guide us through this time together. Father, we love you. And, and even to say that, God, I know, I know that those words really fall short. Um, I want to love you. I desire to love you. God, at times I feel like that's very real in my life. At times um, it's, it's more a desire than a reality. But God, I thank you. It's rooted in the fact that you love me perfectly, fully, completely. In fact, God, you said this is love. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us and sent your son for us. And so, Lord, I pray, um, Father, specifically that we could hear and understand your heart. Why, why did you give us this law? How is it a reflection of your love? Help us to grab hold of that and make sense of it this morning. Jesus, I thank you that, that you are the fulfillment of the law. That it's in you that we even have a shot at this. And so would you come and, and be our guide, our teacher, our help? Thank you, God, that you send your spirit as the comforter, um, as our teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and make these scriptures come alive in our hearts this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a law at my house. Micah is not allowed to use the microwave. Now, if you don't know my son Micah, uh, he is 13 now, which is kind of crazy. He's 13, and all at once, he's going on like five years old and going on like 25 years old all at once. My son Micah has Down syndrome. Uh, we adopted him nine years ago from Ukraine, and uh, he, we kind of even forget that now. He just feels very integrated into our family. He's my only son. I've got five biological daughters. And so my son Micah, who um, is brilliant in his own mind for sure, um, and... The truth is he, he is really smart. He figures things out. He's a problem solver. He struggles with communication, um, but he's a problem solver. The problem with being a problem solver is sometimes he creates more problems than he solves. And so he's very independent. And, and so there's this common thing that we do in my house when me and my kids have some downtime. We will play through the different Zelda games. Do we have any, any video game people in the house? All right, like three. Okay, cool. This analogy is going to work great. Um, we play through the Zelda games. And so what that usually means to my kids is, you know, we're going to get out pillows and blankets and kind of camp out on the living room or the bonus room carpet, and we're making popcorn. Like that is just, in their mind, that's automatically what we're doing. We're making popcorn, and we're going to play some Zelda. And so on more than one occasion, Micah has decided to take it upon himself the minute he hears the word Zelda to rush into the kitchen and make some popcorn. Now, I, as I said, have a rule. Mike is not allowed to use the microwave. Is it because I'm a cruel dad? I don't want my son to eat popcorn? No. The reason is because the last time Micah tried to make popcorn, instead of setting it on something like a minute and a half, he set it on an hour and a half. And it took a while till we realized what was happening. And our noses kind of clued us in on the fact that something was burning. And so he had more than popped the popcorn. I mean, it was charred black. It took hours to get the smell out of the house. It was awful. It was awful. And so we have a rule. Mike is not allowed to use the microwave. 
Okay. That's the intro into my sermon this morning on God's law. I don't know. We'll see how well it connects. I don't know. If nothing else, we can laugh for a minute before we get into God's law this morning. All right. So... Um, We wrapped up the first three chapters of Deuteronomy last week, and we began moving into chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Moses is now talking about the people's present, where they're at right now. And so he's instructing them, you need to take ownership of of these statutes, these laws, this, this information that you've been given that will guide you as you move forward in life. You need to grab hold of it for yourself. And so we're going to read again where we left off last week, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them. Why? You can cheat. That you may live. Thank you, Derek. That you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. I've got something good to give you, and I want you to be able to live and live well. That's why I'm calling you to follow these statutes and laws. Verse 2, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So two basic things. God, the God, is meant to be your God. That's what Moses is saying. Make him your God. And embrace his rules and instructions. They're for your benefit. They're to help you live. And then he gives them a warning. Be careful not to remove things that he has said. And also be careful not to add things that he hasn't said. Now, if you've lived on this planet for very long, I mean, if, you, if you've even just been around like siblings as you were growing up, you will recognize really quickly how easy it is for people to remove things that are important or add things in that don't belong. I feel like most of the fights that we are resolving in my house are people misrepresenting or misusing the rules of the house. They're leaving things out to get their way. They're adding things in to make sure their sibling does X, Y, and Z in just the right order. But God says, don't do that. Don't add or remove things. It's dangerous. Now, we fast forward several thousand years and Jesus comes onto the scene. And in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, which is just like, it's, it's got to just be knocking people over that are hearing it. You know, he starts out, blessed are all these different types of people and circumstances and situations. And they all sound like things that aren't very big blessings. And it had to just be a shock and a surprise to people. As Jesus is laying out, here's who I I am. Here's what I'm about. Here's what you're really called to. And in the middle of that, he stops and says these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So as as shocking, as as crazy of a spin as some of these things that I'm saying appear to be, I'm actually talking to you about fulfilling the law. Now that word fulfill has some interesting meanings. It has a very kind of practical, particular meaning, and then it has kind of a figure of speech kind of a meaning to it. The practical meaning is to fill a vessel or a hollow place. So something that is empty gets filled in. That's what that word fulfill means. Figuratively, 
It means to fill or supply abundantly with something or to impart richly. Jesus is saying something is, is hollowed out and missing and I'm here to fill in that hole, fill in that gap. See, the, the truth is God's law comes along much the same way my rule about the microwave came along. There is, there is some brokenness in us that, that misunderstands this world and how it operates and, and how I, I live in it well and treat people well. There's just something broken and off. And there's a part of me that can't even fully comprehend it. I can't fully get it. The, the reason the rule for the microwave is in existence is because I've tried a few different times in a few different ways to teach Micah how to do it properly, and he just doesn't quite get it yet. And so for his benefit, for the benefit of our home not burning to the ground, right, for everyone involved, there's a rule in place to protect him. Now, I can tell you he doesn't get it. He gets frustrated by it. Sometimes he tries to work around it. It seems like I'm just being this dad, keeping him from something that he wants. In fact, in his mind, he's doing something helpful. I'm, I'm making popcorn for everybody. Why won't you let me do this? And there's just, there's something that's not quite there yet that he doesn't grasp, that he doesn't get. And so that rule is in place to protect him. Now, I think most of you are, can track with me and go, I get that. I get why you would do that. But somehow we failed to map that over in our relationship with God. I bet if I were to ask the question, when you look at this world, do you see something that's broken and wrong, that you'd find it pretty easy to say yes. Do, do you agree? Am I putting words in your mouth this morning? Cool. What's hard for us is to make the leap to the next step, that that means there's something in me that's broken and wrong. Suddenly, my pride wants to resist that. But I am a participant in this broken place. And something happened at a level that I do believe uh, God spends a lot of time explaining to us and unpacking for us at the fall in the garden. But I don't know that we fully grasp the significance of it. Something was broken in us at the fall. And, and we're all born into this world of brokenness. And it's only by the power of Jesus that the law can fully be fulfilled, accomplished. He comes in and he fills in our lack. He fills in our lack of understanding. He fills in our lack of ability to do it, to fulfill it ourselves. The law was there as a tutor to show us we needed Jesus Christ. Okay, but Jesus didn't come and wash it away. The law is pointing to something. It's pointing to something. And Jesus continues building on this in this passage. Going now to verse 18 in Matthew chapter 5. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. Your, your older translation might say not a jot or a tittle. Will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
He's reaffirming what was said in Deuteronomy. We, we need this. What this is talking about is important. The problem is way too easily we try to change and remove things from the law to make ourselves feel better. Or we try to heap a bunch of extra stuff on it and then really quickly dump that onto other people. When in reality, Jesus came to fulfill and complete it. The law is there in order to protect us, teach us, help us, and make the best of things in a broken world. We're given the law because we're too broken on our own to love well and love always. And so the law gives us kind of a shining example of here's some behaviors that work. Here's some behaviors that protect. Here's some behaviors that help. But Jesus comes to fully make them clear. And my hope this morning is we're going to see that a little better as we go along. I want you to consider a concept as we get ready to, to jump into the rest of this. This is a concept that I think we're pretty f familiar with, but I, I, hope that, um, I hope we grab hold of it this morning. Have you heard the phrase, the spirit of the law? The spirit of the law, you know what that means? Following, do we follow the letter of the law or do we follow the spirit of the law? See, all laws that exist, there's something behind them saying this, this idea, this thought, this concept is what is important. So then we come up with these things out here to fulfill this concept, right? So I'll give you an example. There's a law in some form or fashion that states that we don't drive under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Okay, what's, what's behind that law? Keeping me from having some fun and then driving to get where I need to go? Is that what's behind the law? What's behind the law is human life is valuable yes. and precious and glorious, and we want to protect it. And so we look at something that people do pretty regularly, unfortunately, that puts at risk their own life or the life of others. And so we see that and we put forward a law. Now, if I'm just living in view of this out here, what are all the different laws that I have to accomplish and fulfill and follow? And then I, I followed the rules. I did the thing I was supposed to do. If I'm missing the heart that's behind it, I'm just a rule follower. I'm a Pharisee. And in fact, we can get lost in the midst of chasing this heart concept it can become almost endless how many laws we come up with to protect this. So can't we just get people to agree that human life is valuable and precious and important and protect it? Isn't that enough? Has it been enough? No. Do the laws ever stop that? Right? Nobody, nobody ever drives under the influence of alcohol or drugs now, right? Because the law exists. The purpose of that law is to protect and teach, to say, if we could grab hold of the meaning behind it and understand that and live accordingly, things would change. Things would be different. Things would be better. And if we could understand that's, that's what's happening when God presents these laws, there's a heart behind them. And it's a heart of love and protection for us. This is what Moses then spends the rest of chapter 4 of Deuteronomy talking about. I'm going to summarize it with two verses, but I'd encourage you to read through it all yourself. 
but he, but he summarizes it in two key points. Deuteronomy 4, 9, the first point. He says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. First and foremost, this law is about protecting your very soul, who you are, the deepest part of you. And it's so vitally important that you should practice it and live it and not forget it. And then you should be giving it away. See, I mentioned this idea of a baton and, and running your leg of the race. The truth is, the whole time we're running our race, we should already be passing the baton. We've, we've turned discipleship into this extra thing that maybe we'll eventually do and we feel like we know enough. But we're called to give away what we've got as we go. As we go. Jesus didn't come and fulfill his ministry and then in the last few weeks of his life sit down and, and get a bunch of guys together and go, let me tell you about what I've been doing all these years. He brought them along with him as he went. And so we're meant to, to grab the things God's communicated to us and live accordingly and pass them on to care for our soul and the souls of those around us that we have influence over. And then secondly, I love this because it's just as important. Moses also spends time talking about what happens when they blow it. In fact, he doesn't just say if you blow it. He, he just bl blasts past that. He says when you blow it. There's going to be problems and there's going to be some external consequences. Some, some things are going to happen in your life that aren't great. But know this, verse 31, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And so even in the midst of God communicating his law that's for our good and for our benefit, he's saying, I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going to blow it, but I'm a merciful God and I will redeem and love and forgive you. This is the heart behind the law of God. Now, the particulars. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about some of the particulars this morning. So, so if the heart behind it is it's for our benefit and God is a loving, merciful God and redeems us when we blow it, Moses then rolls into chapter 5 and restates the law for this next generation. And he unpacks the Ten Commandments. Now, there's an interesting thing that happens in Jesus' life. He encounters a young man that's gotten the title of the rich young ruler. Anyone familiar with the story of the rich young ruler or heard of him? It's this guy that comes along and has this encounter with Jesus. And we're going to take a glimpse at it. We're going to read some of this from Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 19. Um, also, there's a portion of it in Mark's Gospel that we're going to read from Mark chapter 10. And Luke also uh, recaps this story. But let's... Let's tackle Matthew 19 to start. And behold, a man came to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So the guy asks a really practical question. Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, the young man said to him, all of these have I kept, what do I still lack? Now I can, I can almost imagine this young man sitting there and 
you know, he has this encounter with Jesus. He feels, he feels the whole. Do, do you get this? This young guy, by all accounts, um, he's a good guy. By all accounts, he's rich, he's successful. Later in the story, when the disciples realized he's gone away unhappy and, and isn't, isn't willing to do what Jesus is about to tell him to do, and Jesus says, man, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven, the disciples look at this guy and they don't think, oh yeah, well, we're better off than him. They say, who could get in? Th this guy had a good reputation. The disciples were discouraged that this guy didn't qualify. And so here's this well thought of man of good reputation who's been successful in life and has finances in order. And yet he feels this hole. He feels this gap that only Jesus fulfills. And so he comes and says, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, follow the law. And he goes, okay, but like which ones? Get specific with me. I'm missing something here. And so Jesus lists six of the ten. And I feel like you can almost hear this guy exhale a little bit first, right? He's like, oh, cool, I've done those. Sweet, I'm all right. But then he gets honest again and he goes, yeah, but I'm still lacking something. What do I lack? What's missing? And then Jesus, I want you to see this in Mark's gospel because he says something very specific. Mark 10, verses 21 through 23. And Jesus looking at him. There's so much weight in those words. When Jesus looks at somebody, it's not just, hey, Greg, I see you back there. there there's more to it than that. There's an idea of, of perception, of care, of understanding. It's like, I get it. I see you. I see you. And Jesus looks at him and the scripture says, and he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. I'm convinced because I know the struggles that have existed in my own heart with this issue and I'm convinced from years of ministry with middle school students, high school students, adults. This passage should get our attention. Because we are wealthy. And I don't even just mean financially. We have the ability at our fingertips to find all kinds of things to bring some sense of meaning or satisfaction in life. And all too often, we're finding things that are apart from God. I believe every detail in the scripture matters and has significance. And when Jesus listed those six commandments, I believe it was on purpose what he left out. I said he listed six of them. You know what all six of those commandments have in common? They're, they're the last six that are mentioned in Deuteronomy 5 and in Exodus and other places. Those six are the ones that have to do with how we interact with other people. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. You know what the first four have to do with? Our relationship with God. Have no other gods before me. Have no carved images, which means false versions of gods or chasing other idols. That might sound weird to us. 
But in our day, I think you could just say chasing other ideals. There are other things that we hold loftier or higher than him. Other things that we prioritize, that we chase. Don't take God's name in vain. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to curse. But what I am going to say is that when he says don't take God's name in vain, he means a whole lot more than that. Don't take it lightly to, to take up his name, to bear his name, to call him your God. You're, you represent him to the world. Don't take that lightly, flippantly. Do it with thought and care. We bear his name. Don't take God's name in vain. And then he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. See, all four of these are related to our relationship with him. And the thing that Jesus saw as he looked at this guy, this was a guy who was trying to live well in the world and to get along well with people. But ultimately, what he loved was his ability to take care of himself, provide for himself, and get whatever it is he wanted. He was leaning upon his wealth to find satisfaction and fulfillment, as opposed to finding it in a love relationship with God. And Jesus helped him see that. He held up a mirror and said, here's what you need to do. Now, was Jesus establishing a law with this guy that everyone always, everywhere, needs to sell every possession they have in order to have eternal life? No. Does every kid in my house have to follow the rule you can't use the microwave? Did I, do I go and remove the microwave from my house? Have I unplugged it, taken it off the wall, and thrown it in the trash because it's an evil machine that brings death? No, right? But God loves us enough to hold up the mirror for us individually. His law works like this. It's something I, I can look in and not go, how do I check off the list? But God, how do I see beyond the law to what's really going on in here? What are the empty, hollow places in my heart that I am trying to fulfill in other ways apart from you? And he loves us enough to hold up the mirror and let us see it. Do y'all hear that? He loves us. Now, I can't speak directly about the condition of this guy's heart. I can make a guess that he did not love God. But what I am assured of is that God loved him. That is stated very clearly in this passage. Jesus looked at him and was filled with compassion and love towards him. I want to I go in with a, a microscope on just one particular aspect of this for a minute before we move on. Give you one example. We could do this with all ten of the commandments or the four in particular we're talking about this morning. I'm just going to do it with one. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, when Moses is restating the law and he gets to the part about remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy and he gives them the list of, here's some examples, don't do this stuff. Leave that day for you and God. He says this in Deuteronomy 5.15. He's talking about why they should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is about rest. The Sabbath is a law that was intended to be for our benefit. God's teaching me not to be stressed so much. 
Not to think I have to make all the arrangements for my life. That I've got to be totally on top of things all the time. He reminds me the very way you've been rescued and saved was by what I did. So learn to rest and trust in me. This is exactly how Jesus fulfills the law. He is called our Sabbath rest. He has fulfilled it. What am I called to do now? The, the scripture says pretty clear, I abide in him. I rest in him. See, when, when, when I realize that God's law is meant to be a reflection of his love and his heart towards me, and then I realize where the hole and the gap is in my life, if I'm willing, Jesus will come rushing in to fill that with his presence in my life. God, I believe that you love me. I believe that you want the best for me. And the more I can see Jesus' eyes of love looking at me and seeing me exactly where I am, all my failures, all my shortcomings, every way that I blow it, he sees me right there and loves me. When I begin to recognize that, guess what can grow in me? Love back for him. It's his first love towards us that initiates loving him back. And so I can watch this grow. I love the way the people respond in the book of Deuteronomy. I would encourage you to read verses 24 through 29. I'm going to summarize it in a minute looking at verse 29. But when they finish having the law re-read to them, re-communicated to them, they respond in awe. They respond with gratitude. They respond with respect. And ultimately, they respond with humility. They're like, we're in awe that you would even talk to us and we can live. We're blown away that, God, you would give us these instructions that we can follow. Thank you. They had a sense of humility that God was giving them something they didn't have on their own. And what's incredible is what transpires next. The, the next portion of Deuteronomy is a direct result to their response of gratitude, awe, and humility. God, this is amazing. And God responds to them in Deuteronomy 5.29, and he says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. God's blown away. He's like, this is awesome. You've got the right heart. You've got the right mentality. Man, this is a game changer. And so what he then does is he says, okay, I'm going to lean in closer for more intimate conversation. And so God leans in with Moses now, and he begins to invite him past the law that's listed out here. And he says, hey, come on, buddy, come back here and see what the heart is behind this law. And he begins to have this intimate conversation with him about who God is and his heart towards his people and why the law is there. And so picking up in Deuteronomy 5.31, he says, but you stand here by me, God talking to Moses, and I will tell you the whole commandment. I'm going to give you the heart behind this thing and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. Skipping down to verse 33. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Moses, I'm going to invite you in close to hear my heart so that not only can you survive, but you can thrive 
and it will sustain you. The love of God is what gives us the ability to survive in this broken world. In fact, we can do more than that. Many of us just settle for surviving. We've gotten just enough with Jesus to just kind of scrape by. But he's saying, if you'll lean in and understand my great love for you and how I can fulfill the law of God in your life, you can go from just surviving to thriving and it can sustain you for the remainder of your life. That's God's heart. That's how much he loves us. Now, what this leads to is one of the most central pillars in all of the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is known as the Shema. It's the first thing that a Jewish child will be taught and will memorize. It's an anchor point. It's the linchpin of this series. It's the reason this series is called Lynchpin, because Jesus quotes from this chapter and says, all the law and prophets hang on this. And so let's check out a portion of this. This is like what it's rooted in. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So first and foremost, God is. And he's the one and only. And because he is, and because he is the one and only, therefore, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He's inviting us into a heart-changing moment with him where we understand that love of God is what is behind the entirety of the law. He loves us. He's crazy about us. And he wants to write that on our hearts. And the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 6 unpacks Here's how you live by them. Here's how you talk about them. Here's how you pass them on. This, this heart of love towards God. It brings us back to where we started a few weeks ago. Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came up to Jesus. He heard this dispute that was going on with one another. And seeing that he answered them well. So Jesus was having this whole conversation with the Sadducees. And the scribe comes up and says to him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. And he quotes what we just read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. When we will allow the love of God to really grab hold of us, it will change how we live rooted and grounded in the presence of Jesus in our lives, filling in the gaps where we lack and walking out this life well and faithfully with him. And it will permeate everything. That's where we're going next week. It will permeate our relationships with one another. But first and foremost, it's rooted in a love relationship with him. Let's pray. God, I pray, I pray um, beyond anything else, God, first of all, conceptually, God, that we would believe, that we would trust that your heart towards us is love and good for us always. God, that we could see 
beyond the letter of the law to see the spirit of the law, which is your great love towards us, that you are teaching us as broken people living in a broken world how to live well. God, I pray that, that you would use the law like a mirror in our lives personally, specifically, currently, where we're at right now. God, where's the gap? Where am I lacking? And Jesus, that you would love me enough to, to show me that. And God, that I would then invite you in to fill that gap. Jesus, I thank you that I can rest in you. I can trust in you. That you're the one that fulfills the law and I can abide in you and in your love. God, teach us how to do this. Help us to see your word. Help us to see your laws through the eyes of love. God, help us to see your great love towards us and to respond back in love. May we be people who are rooted and grounded in our love relationship with you. God, I pray we wouldn't settle for chasing other things or for keeping you at arm's length. But God, we would step into a real, vibrant, living relationship with you. God, I hope this big picture concept gets down into our hearts and minds. But God, I also ask very personally and specifically this morning, God, that you would show us today where we are. God, that we could have our rich young ruler moment with you where we see you looking at us with eyes of love, helping us to see where maybe we've relied on our riches, our wealth, what we can muster or arrange for in our lives to control, to get what we want, instead of trusting in your great love towards us. Thank you that you love us and you look at us just like Jesus loved and looked at that young man. And may we respond to you in love. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.